week I had a chance to go to a leadership seminar up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and the leader of the seminar happened to be friends with the brothers uh, or with the head coach's brother, the Green Bay Packers. So uh, we had a wonderful meeting room. It was a suite overlooking Lambeau Field. You see a picture of what we saw out the window here. So we have some heating lamps there with the white uh, structures. And it was just a, a fun experience. We had a tour. Uh, it took us down to the tunnel where the Green Bay Packers went onto the field and they played all the audio of the screaming crowds and the announcer. And then we had a chance to go out on the field itself. And you'll see a picture here of uh, me down on Lambeau Field. Now, you got to remember that I started a church in Nina, Wisconsin back in the early 90s, so I had to become a Green Bay Packer fan to be accepted within the culture. Uh, so I do have a little bit of Green Bay uh, Packer <laughs> fan in me. But uh, it was an interesting time. And it was really incredible timing because... Uh, you had the Monday night game between the Seahawks and the Packers. How many saw that game? Uh, yeah. Did you guys watch that game? And that uh, was a real mess <laughs> at the end there where uh, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, they threw a Hail Mary pass, and the Green Bay Packers intercepted it. But the refs who were replacing the real refs were confused. You can see by the picture here. Uh, they have one ref who's saying it's a touchdown, and the other ref saying, no, it, it's not a touchdown. Uh, probably the worst case, uh, excuse me, the worst call in NFL history. Uh, but thankfully, this call fueled the regular refs being back this particular week. Well, there were picketers outside, all kinds of controversy. This is Coach McCarthy at the press conference saying it was the worst call in NFL history. And then we also had the opportunity to be a part of a live TV audience for the Coach McCarthy show, which they show up there. And so that was fun as well. But it's always interesting to observe conflict. The conflict over this particular call, we like to voice our opinion and talk to other people about it. And really, we, we like to watch other people in conflict. Let's be honest about this. The news is full of conflict. It's not interesting, unfortunately, to many people if there's not conflict involved. Conflict between people, conflict between nations conflict between Democrats and Republicans as we go through the election season here. Uh, a good novel has to have conflict in it, right? A good reality show, that might be an oxymoron, but uh, <laughs> uh, it has to have conflict in it. So we thrive off conflict. The only time we don't like conflict, if it's a part of our lives, when we're having conflict with a friend conflict with a teenager, conflict with our spouse. That's not fun. And we don't uh, look forward uh, to that, but it's a part of life. And today we're going to be looking at how to deal with that conflict as we continue in our series, Love 
at last sight, this 30-day challenge that we're in the midst of. We're on day eight of the challenge, and the whole goal is to ask God to transform a couple of key relationships in our life. Remember, we had three different relationships. We have a relationship with our spouse, a relationship uh, with our kids, a relationship with friends. Uh, might be some of your dating or relative. Those are the three areas. And we ask you to pick out two or three relationships that you really want to hone in on, that you want to pray about, that you want God to do something special through. We ask you to take the Love at Last Sight Challenge. Here are some of the different things. Commitment to attend weekly. Uh, buy the resources. Uh, one of the resources is this book, uh, Love at Last Sight. And this has 30 devotionals. Very, very short chapters. How many have been reading uh, this book? Okay, excellent. Uh, it just gives a lot of practical suggestions on how to be more intentional this week in your relationships. And I would encourage you to use this in your daily office, your time alone uh, with God. And there's videos you can watch. You can download the smartphone app or go on the website. They've got 30 different videos just the more you think about this stuff, the more the Spirit can guide you and empower you to create more healthy relationships that glorify God. So also attending a small group. I want to encourage you to do that. The majority of our small groups are studying this particular material. So that's, that's a love at last I challenge. One thing we also did last week is we challenged you with a Facebook fast for one day a week. So four days during this 30-day challenge, you take the Facebook fast, which means uh, no use of social networking sites, no use of the Internet for entertainment or relationships, just work or school. And then what you do is you take that time that you normally would spend on social media and you actually talk to people face-to-face. <laughs> or you talk to them on the phone or you talk to them on Skype. The challenge we have today is we're so fragmented We've got all these different things, and there's nothing wrong with Facebook. There's nothing wrong with social media. But it can become a problem when we say, I have a lot of relationships. I have a lot of friends. When really, they're just superficial friends, the majority of them. Of course, you do have friends. You communicate over Facebook. But the point being is that we really need to put the priority back on one-on-one -on -one time with people. Uh, our theme last week was the idea of the art of being all there. In fact, there's two uh, that uh, we're going to look at one today. But last week we talked about the art of being all there. Wherever you are, be all there. We're so fragmented, multitasking, thinking about a thousand things. We need to be with the people that we love so much. In fact, I uh, encourage you to get this wristband as a reminder of being all there. That's been an encouragement to me. So, uh, oh, one thing I wanted to do. Do we have any Green Bay Packer fans here? Oh, we got quite a few. Who's hardcore? Who is really a hardcore? Anybody? Okay. All right, Gordon, why don't you stand up here? All right. I got this wonderful souvenir. Hey, hey, come on now. Who is going back there? We are a family of love, aren't we? We're not going to hurt you, right? Okay, Lambeau Field stationery, and this, I don't know, very expensive pen, I'm sure. 
that I picked up there. <laughs> You're welcome, Gord. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to look today at the art of being or acting intentionally. The art of acting intentionally. This is so important in developing a very strong relationship that you've got to put it as a priority in your life. You think about your marriage when you stand before the altar and say, I do, to committing yourself to your spouse. But we all know that you need to say, I do, every day of your marriage. Every day you wake up, you have to say, I do again, saying, this is the most important relationship in my life. And people think good relationships happen by accident, and they really do. It sounds ludicrous, but they just think, okay, I'm married, this is just going to all work out, or I'm going to have kids, and this is all going to work out. (laughs) No. No. You have to choose every day to make relationships important. And the most important relationships God has given you, you need to give top priority. They do not happen by accident. Now, we're going to look at a story, a very well-known parable of Christ. Uh, the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to uncover two keys to deal with a difficult relationship in your life. Last week, we encouraged you to take uh, a few moments to think about two or three relationships that you really wanted to focus in on over this next month, that you wanted to pray about daily, that you wanted to think about, okay, how can I deepen this relationship? How can I be all there? How can I be more intentional? So hopefully you have those two or three in mind. And most likely, one of those relationships, there might be some tension in your relationship. Things are not going as well as you would like. Maybe things are really, really bad. Uh, There's a real crisis going on. Well, I think we can find in this passage two keys that can unlock this relationship and bring health back to it. So let's jump in. First of all, we have to know the audience for this particular parable. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. The tax collectors and sinners were the lowlifes back in that society. The tax collectors were kind of like the mafia. They were hired by Rome, who was occupying Israel, to collect Taxes, But these guys would not just collect the taxes. They would, <laughs> again, collect a lot more. And they were really using extortion in these relationships. And they were hated for being traitors by collecting the taxes from Rome on top of that stealing from them. So they were the most hated people in Israel, no doubt. And the sinners, well, those are the prostitutes and the thieves and the thugs. Nobody had any respect these people, but these were the people that were attracted to Jesus Christ. Now, along with these people, you had another group, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. These were the religious leaders, and they seemed to be very godly, but as we know from what Christ said, they were empty inside. They had no love for God. All they had an obsession was was keeping rules And their primary desire was to feel good about themselves and also to have other people look up to them in order that people would say, 
They are so special. Uh, so they were full of pride. So you have these two groups of people, the sinners and the religious leaders who were listening to Christ tell these stories. You've got to understand that. We've got to put that through their filter to understand how Jesus Christ was communicating to them. So we go to the story in Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So we have this Middle Eastern village. Now what you need to understand about the culture in that day, it was, it was very much an honor and shame culture. That's how they operated. We are a very individualistic culture. It's all about the individual. Back then it was all about the group. And it was also about the group and how much honor or shame was associated with the group. So you have this father. He's a nobleman. He probably is the primary owner in the village. People rent land from him, tenant farmers. And uh, he is very much respected. And he has these two sons. He's going to pass the business down to hopefully. And this one son decides that he is going to check out. He thinks there's a much better world out there. He would like to experience all the pleasures that he's heard about in the world. So he basically says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Now everybody, both the tax collectors and and the sinners and the religious leaders were going, what? (laughs) That didn't happen back in that day. Because that was basically uh, communicating that this young man was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Which would have brought incredible shame upon the father, shame upon the family, and shame upon the village itself. So this is how... Really wild this story is. It's, it's a very wild story. If you listen to it back in that culture, it's kind of like, as Jesus Christ went on, you said, that's unbelievable. That, would, that couldn't happen. So, so the first thing that happens is the son says, I want to check out of here. So that was incredibly foolish and brought a lot of shame upon the family. And then... The father responds by saying, okay, you can leave. I'm going to sell one-third, which was his share, the youngest son's share, of the land. Now, he couldn't sell it immediately. It was only until he died that he could pass the land on. So he was really, really selling it as a future. So he did it right away. He did it immediately, which meant that he took a real loss, like some of you have done with your houses. Right? He sold it at a discount. Somebody got a really good deal on his property because for whatever reason, the father chose to sell it immediately. He sold it at a discount so he could give his son the money. Now, especially, uh, the religious leaders are thinking, now the father's a fool. Not only is the son a fool, but the father, well, he should have disowned his son. He should have turned him away. He should have beaten him until he came to his senses, but he actually gives him what he wants. He actually loses money in regards to his inheritance. It just didn't make any sense. 
So that's where we're coming from. And that's how they're interpreting this story. Incredible shame on the son and now shame on the father for what he's doing. How are people in the village going to view him for letting his son do this to him? We go on to verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he goes out and he says, I've got a cash and I'm going to have some fun. Later in the story, we learn that he spent his money on prostitutes. And, of course, anybody who has a lot of money and wants some friends, people are going to flock to them. And he was partying every night, having the time of his life, he thought, until the money ran out. And when the money ran out, the friends ran out, the prostitutes ran out, nobody cared about him at all. And that's the nature of sin. It looks really good. We're promised all kinds of things. But in the end, it leads to pain and death. And we see this in the young man's life. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Not only does he lose everything, but a severe famine came upon the land, which really was a difficult time when a famine came. People became very desperate. They'd eat garbage. They'd eat roadkill. <laughs> they would eat anything that would uh, fill their stomachs. So, in verse 15, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, this is a young Jewish man feeding pigs, which wasn't allowed by God that they would eat pigs, so not a, a good picture. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So here's this kid. He thought that he had the money, he was going to fulfill his dreams, he pursued his sinful desires, and he ended up with nothing. Even worse than that, he ended up in a pig pen. And he was so hungry, he wanted to eat these carbopods, they call them, uh, of the pigs, I don't know if the pigs got to him before they did, I'm not sure, but he couldn't even eat those. I mean, he is at the rock bottom of his life and his experience. And you guys all know of people, maybe you were one of them, where you had to hit rock bottom. You continued in addictions. You continued in, in sinful patterns. You continued to believe uh, what the world was telling you until finally you lost everything. And that was the point when God got your attention. And it's so sad to see people who are going down that road and you just say, oh, if they just would <laughs> come to their senses before they have to hit rock bottom. But unfortunately, uh, that's not the case sometimes. On verse 17, but when he came to himself, but when he came to his senses, when you are intoxicated with sin, you are not yourself. 
you're a slave to sin. You rationalize. You arrange your life around that particular sin. You continue to feed upon it. But the Holy Spirit, hopefully at some point, brings you to your senses. He came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants had more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He was realizing that his father was a good man. Now, hired servants are those people who are just one step above what he was, where he was living at. He was destitute. He didn't have a job. One step above that was a person who was a day laborer. And so they, they would wait for somebody to hire them on a particular day, as Jesus talked about in another parable. And if they got hired for that day, great. If they didn't, they didn't have anything to eat. So he's saying, if I could just have the opportunity of working for my dad when he needed someone, that would be so much better than this situation. And he feeds his hired servants well, which not everybody did. They have enough bread to eat. So he said, my dad's a good man. So this is where he becomes intentional. The relationship is over in his mind, but he's going to give it one last shot. He is going to be intentional. He says, I will arise. I will go to my father. I will say to him. So I'll arise. I'll go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. We need to remember that every time we sin against someone in our life, we're first of all sinning against God because he's the one who commanded that we love one another. And if we don't love that person, we sin first against God and then second against that person. So, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and also I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now, that was very difficult for him to do. Even though he was at rock bottom, there's that pride that you and I have in our lives that keeps us from doing what God desires us to do. We don't want to admit that we're sinners. We don't want to admit that uh, we have done wrong. But he comes to the point where he does this. So I want you to take a moment to think about that difficult relationship in your life and ask yourself, Ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight here. Have you done something wrong against that person? You might be thinking about your marriage. And marriage is really complicated, right? And you say, well, I guess I've done a few things wrong, but I think it's like a 90-10 breakdown. They're 90% wrong. I'm 10% wrong. So I guess, I guess maybe I'll wait till they come up with something they've done wrong before I have to repent to them? I mean, give me a break. Let me tell you what they've done to me. And you're telling me to look at myself? That's what God tells you to do. You're not responsible for that other person. You're only responsible for yourself. And God tells us throughout the Word that you need to ask the Holy Spirit to identify sin in your life and then empower you to repent of that sin.
So what this means is that even if <laughs> your, your spouse is 90% wrong and you're 10% wrong in your relationship, you need to take account and go to your spouse and say, you know what, I responded to you in this way, I said this, whatever it might be, and you need to repent and say, will you please forgive me? And you say, no way. Are you nuts? No. No, it can only happen through the power of Jesus Christ. So you first need to start praying and thinking about Christ's love for you and how he's forgiven you. And uh, that's the basis of how we're able to do these supernatural things in our life. But I'm asking you the question, in that difficult relationship, is there any area where you need to say, I'm sorry? Can you say that? <laughs> Let's say that together. Let's practice, right? I'm sorry. Say it one more time. I'm sorry. Now, that's hard to say. And think about since January 1st. Have you said that to anybody? And if you have not said I'm sorry since the beginning of the year, you have an issue with pride. Unless you've lived in isolation. <laughs> you cannot live nine months without hurting someone. Okay? You've got to look at your own heart. And some people just cannot say it. Right? If you have people in your life, they will never, until the day they die, say, I'm sorry. Why? Because they are filled with pride. They're filled with pride. Let's ask the Lord to change our hearts. That's the first key. Well, it goes on here, and it says, But while, or excuse me, and he rose and, and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, so the son is approaching the village, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. So here we see the son coming to the father. And we get the idea from the passage that the, the father is looking for the son. The father is a seeker in this passage. It's like he's sitting out in front of his house, maybe a couple hours a day, every day, just waiting for his son to come back. He still loved his son. Now, according to the village, his son was dead. Culturally, he no longer existed because of the shame that he brought upon the family, the father, the village. But he had such a love for his son. He was just kind of waiting there for him to come back. So, But while he was a still long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Felt a deep love for his rebellious son and ran and embraced him and kissed him. We say, wow, that, that's pretty cool that he was able to forgive his son and, and embrace him and, and love on him after all he had done. But again, you've got to go back to this culture again. What this son had done to the father, multiply that by about 100 times, and you, you get the kind of feel of what culturally he had done to his father. Incredible amounts of shame. Just totally against how they thought in this culture. He should never be forgiven. So what this father does 
is he runs to his son. And we think, okay, yeah, he ran to his son. That's nice. Well, <laughs> noblemen back in that day did not run. They just did not run. They, they had uh, these long robes that prevented them from running. The only way a nobleman could run was actually to pull up his robes in order that he might be able to move his legs. And really, this word for run means sprint. <laughs> he was moving. Now, another thing you never did as a nobleman is show your legs. Now, for some of us, that's a good idea not to show our legs. <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you thankful for clothes? Right? <laughs> the point being here is that for a nobleman to be running, showing his legs in a village, this honor-shame thing going on, that was very, very shameful. It's like, who is this idiot? I mean, why is he doing this? It'd be like a leader today, you know, running in their underwear. And like, what? What's going on with that? You know, so here again, not only is a son being a fool, but now a father's being a fool again. Now, why was he running? Well, I think he was running because he loved his son and he wanted to embrace him. He'd been looking for him. But maybe another reason that he was running is that as soon as that kid stepped back in the village, people were going to be all over him. People were going to be scorning him. They were going to be mocking him. They were going to be tearing him apart verbally because he had shamed the whole village. And they were going to let him know what they thought of him. So it could be that this father was running in order to keep that from happening. He wanted to embrace his son and show the village that he loved his son. And therefore, nobody was going to... This is a very powerful guy in the village, right? Nobody was going to say anything against his son publicly or to his face. He wanted to show the village that he loved his son, even though the son had brought incredible shame upon his father. So he ran to him, and he repeatedly kissed him. It speaks of in the original language. And you've got to imagine this son. He's been in this big sty for who knows how long. He didn't have a change of clothes. I doubt he showered. Oh, man. Uh, he, just, he just took him up in his arms. And uh, he was a person that nobody else would hug. But this father loved him so much. And he just covered him uh, in his love, figuratively and literally. What an amazing thing. It goes on. It says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In the midst of this moment, the son realized that, that this is much different than he, he planned. He threw his old script out okay, about being hired servant. He just was totally honest and open with his dad and said, Dad, you know, I brought great shame and dishonor. I no longer deserve to be uh, your son. I've sinned against you. He repents. And how does the father respond? But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Now, they had 
ceremonial robes in that day. They'd only bring out in special occasions. This was a heavily embroidered robe that probably his father had worn. So this was like the robe of the family. And he decides to put it on his son to let his son know that you are royalty. You are my son. It's like he's uh, crowning him king here almost. And he put it on him and put a ring on his hand. Now, that's not just bling. That, that was the family ring. That was the ring that had the seal on it that carried power with it. So he's empowering his son again. And then shoes on his feet. If you were a person of responsibility in that day, you wore shoes. Most people didn't, but he wore shoes. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now, this is really unbelievable because you'd only bring the fattened calf out like a big special occasion, like a wedding. And here they're bringing it out for this rebellious kid who's come home. And they would feed the whole village. Feed 100, 150 people. And they wouldn't put it on a spit. They would, they would butcher it. And they make all types of cuts of meats and put it in their ovens. And this is a whole village celebration that's going on here. But this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. Now, you've got the sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes listening to this story. And it is one crazy story. If you lived back in that day, you'd say, what? You've got to be kidding me. This kid comes back and you treat him like royalty. What is the deal with that? This father has lost his mind. In fact, they've taken the focus off the shame that the son brought upon the father and the village. And now they're probably thinking about the father. This father is a fool. He's even more foolish than his son. Now, who does this father represent? Well, you know. It represents God, our Father. And God, our Father, is a fool for us. Because as we all know, we're sinners. We rebel against God. We do our own thing. We spit in His face. We say, hey, I want to do things my own way. I'm checking out. And... We live far from Him. And uh, God continues to pursue us. Because again, in His eyes, we have a penalty for our sin, and that's eternal separation from Him. And there's no reason why He should have any concern for us because we're disqualified from a relationship with Him. But He has this, this crazy love for us that doesn't make any sense. And, and so crazy. I mean, this really shows the craziness of what Christ did on the cross. That's really kind of the point of the whole story. The fact that Jesus Christ will come to this earth 
as a God-man and have the penalty of sin laid upon him for Jesus Christ to leave his throne and to live on this earth and experience what we experience and then to die for us and to bear our sin in order that we wouldn't have to experience that penalty. That is crazy. That's outlandish. So this story was outlandish because it was telling the outlandish thing that was about to happen. But God gave His Son in order to bring us in a relationship to Him. And again, for someone to come into the family of God, for someone to be called a son or daughter of God, they need to realize they're a sinner like the Son. I repent. I've sinned against you, God. And then just to accept that gift of grace that Jesus gave on the cross and say, Lord, it's not about my works. And I have to continue to talk about that because so many people have grown up in churches that say, yeah, you can accept Jesus, what he did on the cross for you, but then you've got to continue to work, maintain your relationship. No. No, it's only about what Christ has done for you and your full trust in his deliverance and not how you can deliver yourself. So that's grace. Grace is undeserved favor. We don't deserve it. Then we need to continue to dwell upon what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We need to continue to think about the grace that he extended to us there. I mean, can you imagine this son as he went throughout his life and how his whole attitude, his whole way of thinking was transformed by the love of the Father? I mean, he was just a totally different man after this. That's the way we should be. Once we experience this unbelievable you know, grace and salvation, I mean, it's interesting that all of this was instantaneous, right? The son came back. It's not like the father's going to say, okay, I'm going to put three months on, or three years on probation and see how you do. No, instantly he brought him up to full sonship again. And that's what happens in salvation. We are sinners. We're in the pig pen. We've lost everything. But immediately when we accept and humble ourselves, repent, God gives us everything, right? And he makes us one of his children. So the important thing to remember here is that if you're going to develop healthy relationships, you need to fully experience the grace of Jesus Christ. And salvation and really throughout your life, I mean, we, we all continue to struggle with sin, right? And we all deal with guilt and that kind of thing. We need to, to remember Jesus Christ loves us so much and He continues to forgive us. He continues to be patient with us. And the more you live that out in your life, living a grace-oriented lifestyle, realizing that grace is what God gives you, that's when you can give grace to other people. That's when you can apologize because you realize you're a sinner anyway. That's when you can do the other key thing in a relationship, and that is to forgive. And that's really hard to do too, isn't it? To forgive someone else. If you want to hear a message on that, I did a message uh, a series on Joseph back in April. It was April 17th. You can pull that off uh, the podcast on iTunes. But it's very difficult to... To forgive someone. And I know that 
All of us have relationships where we struggle with that. But it's something you need to do through the power of the Spirit. You need to forgive your spouse. You need to forgive your teenager who just has created so much pain in your life. You need to forgive your adult child who's turned his back or her back on you after all you've done for them. You need to forgive your friend, that friend you've had a broken relationship with for a year or three years. You need to forgive them because Jesus Christ forgave you and he can empower you to forgive other people. And it is hard work. I am, you know, these two things, repenting and forgiving are probably the two most difficult things one can do as a Christ follower because it all has to do with our, our pride and our selfishness. As we close our time together, I want you to watch a video of uh, a man who exemplified what it means to have grace towards someone who had hurt him. My dad always told me, all you owe anyone is to love them, and you don't have to wait until they deserve it. As I've been going through the Love at Last Sight challenge, um, I constantly am reminded of my parents and, and my dad. I've married my high school sweetheart, and I had the wonderful opportunity and blessing to be married to, to Barbara for over 34 years until uh, she went to heaven. One of the greatest experiences that Barbara and I had together was that we had the opportunity to accept Christ. And we did it right beside our bed one night, and it changed our lives forever. And we thought everyone would be excited. Um, we found out later that uh, not everyone believed that way, especially my mom and dad. That wasn't the biggest issue uh, with my relationship with my dad. Uh, that came a few years later when I decided to go into the ministry. I was so surprised at his response. He had, he had looked at me and he said, if you go into the ministry, you will no longer be my son. And those were words that penetrated pretty deep in my heart. Those are words that no child should hear from a parent. So here I was, I felt like an orphan and yet I was in my 20s, knowing my dad would probably reject me for the rest of my life. From that moment on, I made a quality decision that I was going to forgive him. He rejected me in 1981. After several years of doing the same thing, going back, loving him, letting him know I loved him, and still being rejected, we just purposed over and over that love never fails. We would purposely love, love him into a relationship. In 1997, I decided I wanted to do something for my dad. He was turned 87 years old. They did not have a shower in their home. And I was concerned that 
uh, he could possibly slip and fall in a bathtub. So I made a trip over to see him, and I had a plan for him that I could go in and, and remodel his bathroom and put a shower in. After some thought, he came back and he said, all right, we'll do it under one condition, that I will pay for the materials. And I was overwhelmed with joy to know that he would let me do this. It was very interesting. At first he was reluctant to have me do it. But as we started tearing the walls apart, he started engaging in conversation. So this went on for a couple days. So on Thursday of that week, I went to Dad and I said, you know, I'm sorry I have to leave, but I'm leaving the contractor with you. And he'll stay here till tomorrow night, as we promised, and he'll finish it for you. I went to gather my things, and I met my dad in, in the room off of our kitchen. And he met me halfway in that room. And I'll never forget this, because he, he opened his arms, and he embraced me. He gave me the biggest hug I've ever received in my life from him. He said these words to me that I hadn't heard for many, many, many years. He said, Mike, I love you. And then he gave me a kiss on my cheek. I will never, ever forget it. The last three years of his life were the greatest years I had with him. Everything had more meaning to it. Uh, we'd go home to visit them. There were times I would go out fishing with him. We actually had conversations. It's as though he was genuinely interested in, in what my life was all about now. At the age of 91, my dad went to heaven. But I have three precious years that I will never, ever forget. A constant reminder that love never fails. And that if we intentionally purpose in our heart to forgive, God will do the work in the hearts of people. Our ability to forgive and to be forgiven really is rooted in who we are in Christ. And so I uh, hope that you were encouraged this morning. If you've got any questions about how to have a relationship with Christ or if you'd like to interact with some of the things that Pastor Dan taught about, we'd love the opportunity um, to talk with you about that. You should have received a program on the way into the service uh, this morning. I want to invite you to uh, tear that welcome slip off that's attached to the right side. Uh, my name is Richard Wald. I'm the associate pastor here. And if you are a first or second time guest with us this morning, uh, we are glad that you are with us. There's a place for you to indicate um, you know, what, how you heard about Springbrook here in the middle of that welcome slip. If you want to share any information you feel comfortable sharing, uh, be sure and do that. There's some numbers across the top that correspond to some next steps at the bottom of the insert that Pastor Dan was using during his service. And so if we can help you uh, with any of your next steps, be sure and just let us know. Uh, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you more. If you're a regular attender at Springbrook, please just put your first and last name on. Uh, that welcome slip to let us know you were here. That would be fantastic. Um, also on the inside of your program is an orange insert with some information about our upcoming men's breakfast. Guys, we've got a men's breakfast uh, scheduled for 